As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by Symbol. Guys, we have a brand new sponsor that you guys are going to love. Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. On Symbol, you can trade sports teams like stocks, and every time your teams win, you can earn cash. Use your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Join the nearly 7,000-plus early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams. Visit www.symbol.com to create a free account. And when you deposit, make sure you use the promo code SD, as in sports drink, to make your deposit risk-free. Again, that's www.symbull.com and use the promo code SD and your deposit will be risk-free. That means even if you lose money, Symbol will refund your initial deposit, no questions asked. Join Symbol and start investing and profiting from your favorite teams. <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Guys, the Spotify Green Room is a live, audio-only sports talk platform. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time. Get in on the conversation that you listen to here every single day and have a chance to be featured on your favorite podcast like this one. Download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS App Store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join my group. Follow me at Larry D-E-E. It's, uh, I don't know why they didn't let me use D period, but they didn't. So follow me at Larry D-E-E to be notified when my room goes live every Wednesday, 7 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, and join me when we go live every Wednesday night at Club 34-7. <laughs> What's up, guys? Back to uh, close the book on week number eight against the 49ers and get ready to uh, move it along to uh, playing the Pittsburgh Steelers and then getting ready for the second half of the season. So we got the bye uh, after this. So uh, this is a big game. The Bears being three and five. We've lost three in a row. Let's see if we can go into the bye on a winning, you know, on a, on a winning uh, note. But uh, before we can talk about the Steelers and, and what we can look forward to this weekend or, or next week, a week from uh, today, I'm recording this on Monday night, um, we got we to gotta talk about the 49er game. And it's, 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 it's all bittersweet because we saw a lot of really good things from the offense. We saw basically a breakout-type performance from Justin Fields, who still had some of his, uh, some of his rookie moments, which are to be expected, but also, again, much like in the preseason, there were just some things that it was like, yeah, nobody else makes that play. The the fourth and one touchdown run that he had in the in the fourth quarter. I mean, come on, man. Seriously. That is that is everything that we traded up for and then some uh, all wrapped up into uh into one play. But um Anyway, let's go ahead and get through this game. Uh, talk about the roller coaster that was the Bears' Week Eight loss to the Forty ers This is the Week Eight deep dive review episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. With these two teams struggling coming into the game on Sunday, it looked like the Bears had an opportunity after two weeks playing Super Bowl contenders to have a winnable game, to have an opportunity to get the ship righted, to be a 500 football team going into the last game before the bye when we welcomed the 49ers to Soldier Field on Sunday. But it was not to be as, once again, our beloved let us down. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. Beck, the Week 8 Deep Dive Review episode of the Bears Talk Underground. We got knee-jerk reactions coming up here. Uh, in just a moment, but um, you know, it, it first time I picked the Bears in what like four weeks or something uh, like that. I, I I 
I recognize that, uh, you know, the 49ers could beat us just as easily as we could beat them, but I just really had a feeling that the Bears were going to perform well and that this was going to be somewhat of a get-back game because the last time that we were, you know, embarrassed and, and blown off of the field, we had a good performance when we came back home. We had a nice victory over the Lions, and I know it was the Lions, but still. We looked good. We looked like everything we weren't the week before, and we were able to come away with the uh, with the win uh, over Detroit. And the 49ers are not the Lions. They are much better than the Lions, but who isn't at this point? It's just that they were vulnerable. They were beatable for us. And, you know, they had weaknesses that we would be able to uh, exploit. And um, <laughs> the, the thing was, we didn't exploit a single one of them. We didn't, even with the progress and, uh, you know, everything that we saw from the offense yesterday, we didn't attack them. We didn't try to go deep on the 49ers, not until that very last play of the game where Fields threw up that 50-50 ball to to Mooney uh, at the end of the game. Um, We didn't test the secondary, the most penalized defensive pass interference secondary in football. They've been penalized 14 times. The, the stat was accepted or the penalty was accepted 11 times. These guys basically throw themselves at the defender trying to stop the ball from being caught. And um, the only time that we challenged them, Fields threw it into double coverage. It was off Mooney's hands and it ended up being the one uh, blemish on his afternoon with the, with the interception. So, you know, we... That was the one thing. Like, why aren't we? Why aren't why aren't we challenging these guys? I, I know that Fields is is uh, you know that our offensive line, but there's ways around that. You know, it's like I know we keep going back to you know we had that success against the Lions, but it was what we did against the. It was maybe actually not so much what we did; it was how we did it. We come out. That's the first game that Lasers calling plays after we get massacred against Cleveland the week before. And what we did with in the Lions game was we kept in extra tight ends we kept in the running backs to give max protection to give fields time to look downfield to throw those five catches to Mooney for 125 yards he wasn't catching the little six seven yard dink and dunk routes and then being left to gain the rest of the yardage on his own he was completing deep balls downfield he was he was surgically accurate uh, in that game, that was the promise of Justin Fields. We saw come to fruition against the Lions, and here we are, four weeks later, uh, another embarrassing showing uh, on the road against the the Buccaneers. We're back at home. We're against a beatable team in a winnable game uh, that's on a four game losing streak. They're reeling. They're trying to find their identity and you know and and decide what kind of football team they're going to be with eleven or so games left to go uh, in the season. And like I said a moment ago, the most the most penalized pass interference secondary in all of football, and we we didn't take any shots. We didn't go downfield because we didn't keep the tight ends for the max protection and run the three-man routes with Robinson and Mooney and whoever, Demir Bird, Goodwin, or, or what have you. We didn't test them downfield like we did uh, against the Lions. It's like this was the third week in a row that we were playing a secondary that was decimated by injury, that had people out there that they literally had to pull off the street to to to, to put them out there and to fill a roster to fill a secondary, and we didn't try, we didn't challenge them, we didn't attack them in the way you'd think we would based on what we had done uh, earlier uh, in the season, uh, and despite that, the offense had one of its best performances of the season, being able to move the chains, being able to sustain drives. Uh, and and score some points, not all the points that we ended up needing because we ended up settling for f- way too many field goals and that ended up biting us in the ass in the third quarter. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. But we saw a lot of really good things. It left, you know, at least the offensive players feeling good about where the offense is. It's like obviously they're not happy about not scoring enough points, but they have to be happy with, the progress of looking like a competent offense that can move the ball down the field. Now we just have to figure out how to uh, close the deal in the red zone, and then we'll really have something on our hands. Because I was tweeting all day during the game yesterday. It's you know ten to ten to three or whatever the score was. It should be fourteen 
to three. It's 16 to 16 to nine. It should be 21 to it's 13 to nine. It should be 21 to nine. It's 16 to nine. It should be 28 to nine. We should be pulling away from the 49ers and yet they're still in striking distance because we can't close when we get into the red zone. And sure enough, it happened. So, um, but like I said, in the, in the first quarter, you, you could just kind of tell, um, you know, you don't hear me prophesizing about it in the, in the knee jerk reaction, but you've seen a lot of sloppy things from our defense. You could just kind of get the feeling it wasn't going to be that kind of day that we were hoping it would be that the bears would be able to take advantage of the 49ers and how they were struggling on offense, how Jimmy G was kind of playing his way out of San Francisco and, and all that kind of stuff. The 49ers were moving the ball uh, against us. They were going up and down the field uh, just same way our offense was, only that we had a little bit more success than they did uh, in the first quarter and in the uh, and in the first half. But you could just kind of tell. There was a lot of sloppy play going on, referees getting involved a little too often, making some calls they shouldn't have been making, the Bears getting penalized, killing themselves, and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, but you can also acknowledge – we're moving the football. Justin Fields looks good. We'll see how it goes here in the in the first quarter. It wasn't the doom and gloom that it automatically was a week ago when we played the Buccaneers. <laughs> Knee jerk reaction. Bears 49ers after the first quarter. Kind of a sloppy first quarter from both teams. Um, the and and the the Bears defense is uh, not helping matters much. They're you know, giving up big plays to the 49 and not so much that they're critical or huge, but it's like, you know, a third and long, we give up 20 something yards. So they gain the first down and uh, things like that. Like they're just huge holes in the middle of the field that the 49ers are taking advantage of, but they are a two and four football team that's been struggling all year. So the best they've been able to muster in their two offensive drives has been field goal attempts. The first one, the missed the second one they made, and in both uh, both offensive drives for the 49ers, the Bears missed out on inter- uh, interception opportunities. Uh, the first one by Duke Shelley, the second by Tease Tabor, who was in for the now injured uh, Eddie Jackson. So we'll see how that affects the defense. It might be addition by subtraction, the way that Jackson's been playing uh, this year. Uh, on our offensive side, we shot ourselves in the foot. On our last drive, we had a really, really great-looking screenplay on third and 14, but had two penalties go against us on that play, a, back, a block in the back on Cody Whitehair, and uh, that was declined because James Daniels was uh, an eligible man downfield, so that kind of nullified everything we had to settle for. Uh, uh, Cairo Santos, 36th consecutive field goal uh make so it's 3-3 now uh the bears have the ball and uh look like maybe we moved the chains a little bit so far see if we can keep that going and uh i don't know wake me up because god knows i could use it so right off the bat it, it looks like a game between a two and five and three and four football team it looks like teams that uh have lost more than they've won uh with the way that they were playing that and the the, like the the things the things they were doing where they can't get out of their own way missing the first field goal attempt by the 49ers the bears having that brilliant screen play for the for, for a team that struggles as mightily with the screen game as the bears do the one time they actually bang one out they had not one penalty but two to erase all the progress that was made. Like I said, it was third and 14. Herbert catches the ball about six yards past the line of scrimmage and gets at least 10 more after that. He got 16 on a, on third and 14. That would have put us, I think, something like inside the 10-yard line or, or something like that would have been poised to score, and we would have finished off our first drive uh, with a touchdown like we have uh, a few times uh, this year. Uh, but instead, uh, not only did Cody Whitehair um, get a block in the back on Fred Warner, who had actually over-pursued and didn't need to be touched anyway. Herbert cut inside and ran right past him. So it was you know, blocking a guy that was already out, out of the play. But never mind that, because James Daniels was too far downfield before the ball was thrown. So ineligible man downfield nullified everything uh, on the play. So 
<laughs> it's like that's one of those things where you know the, these teams show why they're three and four, show why they're two and four, uh, and things like that going into the game. The 49ers are two and four, not two and five. But um, you know that's that's the kind of sloppy thing that we were seeing. And me mentioning the middle of the field being open, it became an epidemic in the game later as it went along. And it turns out that uh, despite all of Eddie Jackson's faults in the tackling game, uh, as far as his run defense uh, is concerned, um, Eddie Jackson is probably one of the top safeties as far as coverage goes. Now, it it hasn't translated in interceptions like it did in the early couple of years uh, of his career. But, uh, you know, listening to the football after show with Olin Krutz and Alex Brown, uh, Lance Briggs uh, and such, they did make the point that, uh, you know, despite his difficulties in tackling, Eddie Jackson is excellent in coverage, and you wonder how what kind of an impact his presence would have had on how easily the 49ers exploited the middle of the field on us yesterday. You know, maybe he, as an all-pro, uh, would have been there to nullify a lot of those throws or not even uh, give, or maybe the 49ers don't even attempt it because Eddie Jackson is there versus them testing the new guy who's off the bench playing in Eddie Jackson's spot. So at first it was Tease Tabor, and then I think it was uh, DeAndre Houston Carson who was playing that role, uh, you know, and, and Houston Carson does a great job making plays uh, from time to time. He has an interception, and Eddie Jackson doesn't uh, so far this year. That one he got against the uh, – against the Raiders, but, you know, it's like I gave the Sean Desai the business in the Bear Up, Bear Down show because the middle of the field was open the entire football game. Anytime the 49ers needed a play, they would just run a little, you know, slant route down the middle of the field, and there was literally no one there. Like, we employed no linebackers or safeties uh, or whatever, and it just, they would find the middle of the field, boom, a five-yard catch turns into a 10, 12, 15 uh, yard gain. The 49ers had eight 20 plus yard plays uh, against the Bears yesterday. And I would wager that a majority of them were those inside slant routes where the middle of the field was wide open. And we're playing against the guy in Kyle Shanahan, whose offensive philosophy can be, can be explained as simply as this. A couple of years ago, I think in 2019, the year they went to the Super Bowl, they had a football game. I don't remember who it was against, but it was a game where they barely threw the ball. Like, I think they threw the ball less than 20 times in the game, and they ran it like 48, 49 times, which is today's NFL is unheard of. And they, and they decimated whoever they played. For some reason, I'm thinking it was the Falcons. But regardless of who it was, in the postgame press conference, the uh, San Francisco press score simply asked him, you know, why did you keep running the ball? Why did you run the ball so much uh, in the football game? You, you barely passed. And, you know, his answer was simple because it was working, you know, unlike Matt Nagy, who who will probably stop doing that was do something that was working before his his defenders, his opponents could stop it. Kyle Shanahan is the opposite. He will keep running it until you stop it. And the Bears yesterday did not stop it. So Shanahan just kept going back to the well. Over and over again, deep, you know, those plays over the middle, whether it was a five yard slant that turned into a 10, 15 yard gain, or hey, let's just, you know, let's run a deeper cross across the middle of the field. Whoever will still be wide open every single time. And they were. And because we didn't stop it, Shanahan kept doing it, uh, running it out of diff- different formations and different personnel uh, groupings and whatnot. They were still attacking the middle of the field the same over and over and over again. So whereas Nagy, for some reason, likes to get conservative and stop doing something that's working before his opponents can stop it, Shanahan's the kind that will force you, he will challenge you to stop him from doing it. He laid down that challenge on Sean Desai yesterday. Desai never figured it out, and we got carved up for 320-plus passing yards from Jimmy G and and something, 140-something rushing yards uh, or whatever out of the uh, out of the 49ers uh, running game. They nearly racked up 500 yards of total offense on our defense yesterday. So Shanahan dared us to stop him. We didn't. They kept banging us up, and uh, you know they ended up killing us, especially in the second half. But after the first quarter, <laughs> it's only three three. 
But the Bears were moving the football. We were looking good. And, uh, you know, like I said, it, we, we had the football at the end of the first quarter. We, we, we had a drive uh, together. It's just you had a feeling the day was going to be different for the offense, but the, the defense was still rearing its ugly head. In, first, in the first half, it was bend, but don't break. And with the offense not getting – was settling for field goals over touchdowns, you just never really had a feeling that this game was as far in hand as it should have been at halftime. <laughs> Knee-jerk reaction, second quarter, Bears, 49ers. It's 13 to 9 and it really should be 21 to 9. The only thing keeping that away from us is the Bears themselves and some really lousy play calling on our last offensive drive uh, on 3rd and 6 instead of going downfield where we've had some success today. Uh, we ran a Matt Nagy special and threw one out into the flat that uh, everyone in the building including uh, the defender for San Francisco saw coming and sacked Khalil Herbert for about a four-yard loss on the play, and we had to settle for uh, another Cairo Santos field goal. Uh, we did finish that uh, the drive that we had going in the first quarter. We finished it off with a touchdown to make it 10-2-3. A beautiful throw from Fields to Jesse James. Um, but, you know, it's like we, we shot ourselves in the foot on the first drive. In the first quarter, with the penalty on third and 14, when we had the screen play, had to run that one back. And then, like I said, the lousy play calling on the last one. It's like we, all three of these drives should have finished with touchdowns, and it should be a 21-9 to score here at the half. But instead, the 49ers are still in this thing uh, when we should be starting to pull away from them. Uh, we do start with the ball in the second half. So hopefully we'll be able to continue this momentum offensively and, uh, you know, put it put some distance between us and the 49ers. But, uh, you know, defense, like I said, sloppy uh, at times, gave up a 50-yard pass down the middle of the field to get the 49ers uh, deep into inside the five-yard line, but we're able to hold fast, and that's where the last field goal attempt came uh, for the 49ers. So nobody's punted yet today. Every drive has ended in a uh, scoring attempt, at least. Two field goals and a touchdown for the Bears. Four field goal attempts for the 49ers and only three make. So 13-9, we start with the ball. Got to tighten things up if we want to pull away from uh, this, pull away from the Niners and win this thing. And in these close games, games are won in the halftime adjustments. And... It was very obvious from the outset in the third quarter the 49ers had made the necessary uh, adjustments. Uh, They didn't really start to hit us with it until the fourth quarter, but in the third quarter it was there. So, But like I said, in that second quarter, we were able to finish the drive that ended the first quarter, put it in the end zone. The throw that Fields made to Jesse James was was pretty great you know he's rolling to his left which is his weak side if you will for a right-handed quarterback a lot of quarterbacks can't make good throws rolling to their left he he, he has this weird almost like sidearm type release where the it goes across his body and the initial play um the initial like watching it happen live didn't really look like that impressive uh, of a throw You know, it looked like he just threw it to a spot where only Jesse James could get it. Jesse James made the catch, touchdown Bears. But when they showed the end zone zone view of it, where the ball is coming at us, and you see how close the defender was to making a play on that ball to to the pinpoint accuracy uh, spot where where Fields threw it so only Jesse James uh, could have it, the play became that much more uh, impressive because... Watching him roll to his left, you got to see the release like he meant to do that with the way that he threw it, where it ended up, and Jesse James being able to catch it. He put it exactly where he wanted to, exactly where only Jesse James could have it, and it was a brilliant throw. And uh, like I said, we came back on the very next drive. Once again, moving the ball down the field, we were having success running the ball against another top five uh, run defense and then we get to second, we get to third and six, and instead of going down the field, trying to you know attack the middle of the field, 
something like that. We, like I said, we dial up that Matt Nagy special where we throw out, you know, throw this play out into the flat where, number one, where he catches the football, we're already giving up yards. We've already lost yardage by the time he's caught the ball. So he doesn't have six yards to gain to get a first down. He's got eight or nine to get a first. He's got to gain eight or nine yards to get a first down. So it's no, it's no longer third and six. It's third and nine now for where Khalil Herbert catches the ball uh, in the backfield. And, of course, the 49ers are professionals, the same as we are. So they've seen the Bears do stupid shit like that over and over again. So they were all over it. And Khalil Herbert barely has a chance to catch the ball and turn around and make a move, and he's being swallowed up uh, by the defender for the loss, and we have to settle uh, for the field goal. So for all the progress that the the offense made, it very much was two steps forward, one step back with the way that we played yesterday. So we only had three drives in the first half. They all ended up in points, all three of them, two touchdowns, or excuse me, two field goals and a touchdown, and the 49ers were pretty much in the same boat. They were able to move the ball down the field. They were able to get themselves in scoring position, but they had to settle for field goals, and it was just a matter of who was going to be able to break the dam, who was going to be able to turn those field goal attempts into touchdowns, and that's where the real difference was going to be made. So, but like that 50-yard play just before the half, the 49ers are in a position to send this thing to in, into halftime tied. And thankfully, the defense was able to uh, to shut that down and force the field goal attempt. But this thing could have been much worse if, you know, being tied already and, and already having paid the price for not being able to uh, put those touchdowns or put those drives into the end zone to score the maximum amount of points uh, you know, having to settle for field goals, we would have already paid the price for that by going in tied when we were dominating the game. We were dominating the game. We had the time of possession. We had more yards, more plays, the whole nine yards. We were dictating the pace of the football game to the 49ers going into the half, and we only had a four-point lead to show for it. So uh, you just had the feeling, and I tweeted it out, like I hope this isn't something that comes back to bite us in the second half, and it was like I had a crystal ball. Because it started in the third quarter, that's where the game flipped, and in the fourth quarter, they just pulled away from us. But uh, you know, before we got to the fourth quarter, where they where they did pull away from us, we had to sit through the third quarter where we started off well, but things started to you know we punted for the first time in the third quarter. The 49ers just kept rolling, rolling on with the scoring uh, scoring drives, and uh, they caught us. I, th- I don't think they had caught us completely. I think we were still winning at the end of the third quarter, if I'm not mistaken. But they had caught us. And it was just a matter of who was going to pull ahead and stay ahead in the fourth quarter. <laughs> Knee-jerk reaction, third quarter, Bears, 49ers. And we are pissing this one away. We cannot finish drives in the red zone. Um, and our last drive was the worst one yet. We just... Uh, we may have lost, I don't, we lost Khalil Herbert, who knows for how long. Um, took a knee to the helmet on his way down when he mishandled a uh, pitch. Because for whatever reason, the Bears insist on running to the outside when they've been a run-between-the-tackles team all year long. 49ers are all over it every single time. And that's probably why Herbert fumbled the football, because he was looking ahead to get hit almost automatically running to the outside and had his eyes downfield instead of trying to catch the ball. But, um, you know, first drive of the, of the half, we, you know, 13 plays, like seven plus minutes off the clock, have to settle for a field goal. So it's 16 to nine. And then we've, we've got a full quarter time of possession advantage over the 49ers. And it was all erased basically in one play. Third and 19. Third and 19, the 49ers run like one of those give up wide receiver screen plays that Debo Samuel breaks for 83 yards, pushed out at the one-yard line, and a few plays later, Garoppolo runs it in. Thankfully, they missed the extra point, and it's 16-15, to 15, so we still have a lead, but the 49ers are basically in our red zone again as we start the fourth quarter. So we could be playing from behind here in just a matter of moments when the fourth quarter gets underway, and all of the, the, the progress and, and how we played on offense – will be erased by the fact that we just could not close and get into the end zone and take advantage. This should be 28-15 to 15 
right now. We should be up two scores with the 49ers driving to make a game out of this as opposed to them driving to take the lead and put us behind the eight ball. So at that point, the frustration was mounting because the thing that I was dreading in the first half by the Bears settling for these field goals instead of putting touchdowns on the board had come to fruition. Uh, you, you hate to see that happen, uh, especially when you know the defense basically wasn't holding up its end on Sunday. Yeah, they were holding back on the they were you know forcing field goals instead of uh, allowing touchdowns uh, and everything. But the fact that they were letting the 49ers just roll down the field and put themselves in a position to keep scoring points, it puts pressure on the offense that current that we're frankly not prepared for uh, right now. We we aren't much of a a team that really can answer on a consistent basis. We're not that reliably, we're not that reliable in in, in doing that just yet. So it, it puts a lot of pressure uh, on the offense when the defense isn't holding up its end, and it really did not hold up its end on that Debo Samuel screenplay. I mean, I we in every podcast or you know review show or whatever that I listened to uh, today while I was working, everyone uh, agrees that you know third and nineteen is not a play that you have in your playbook. Every time you're in a situation like that, it's a screen or a draw. You're just looking to gain some yards to give yourself more room to kick, especially with where the 49ers were uh, at that point uh, in the football game. They were at, you know, like their own 10 or 12 yard line, whatever it was. And, you know, they're just looking to get out of the shadow of their own goalposts and give their punter a better chance to kind of flip field position when they give the ball back to us. Uh, Instead, uh, Debo Samuel makes the catch and makes one guy miss, and literally that's all it took because after he got past the one guy, which was Mario Edwards, a defensive lineman, sadly enough, he's off to the races, and if not for the effort of DeAndre Houston Carson dragging him down inside the five-yard line, it's a touchdown. It was initially uh, called a touchdown. A review showed that he stepped out of bounds uh, at about the one-and-a-half, maybe two-yard line uh, and whatnot, but that was the play that flipped it because a couple plays later, Jimmy G runs it in, uh, you know, to make it 16 to 15. But right there, that was the nightmare prophecy fulfilled. We couldn't, our offense was playing well. The offense was moving the chains. We were dominating time of possession uh, and everything like that. But we'd only managed 16 points. Therefore, it was just that fast with uh, for the 49ers to be able to close the gap or, you know, if not for them missing the extra point uh, when they scored, eliminating it altogether. I mean, we still had the one-point lead going into the fourth quarter, but by that point, the momentum had flipped. They knew that they could put it into the end zone. They confirmed it. They had one of those huge momentum-shifting plays to put themselves in the position with that screenplay, and the game pretty much changed on a dime in that moment. We stopped them they punt for the first time in the football game. We probably have excellent field position, and we're in a better spot to extend our lead and maybe figure it out and put it into uh, the end zone. Maybe the touchdown that came in the fourth quarter, we score. Uh, you know in th- that uh, you know the Bears needed in order to 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 close the gap that the 49ers had created. Um, in the fourth quarter, maybe it's the one where we drive the nail in the coffin. We score a touchdown and now it's 23 to, you know, 23 to nine, uh, you know, as opposed to 16 to 15. I mean, it's all, it's a, all the difference in the world there. You know, we don't make that play where even the 49ers don't believe they're going to get a first down, but they make the effort and effort makes plays. And on that one, their effort put them back in the football game uh, and put them in a position to steal it. And that's exactly what they did. So, you know, uh, it was another one of those things. Um, we had that opening drive, and when I was talking about it uh, before, it was 13 plays, 62 yards, six and a half minutes off the clock. We got it all the way down to the San Francisco seven-yard line. And two shots from inside the 10, um, the, the third down play being a throw to – uh, Cole Komet, who, devil's advocate, he was being covered by Fred Warner, one of the top inside linebackers in football. But Fields made the right throw. He back-shouldered it, 
and Komet tried to tried to one hand it uh, and everything. He ended up dropping the pass. We settle uh, for the field goal, and there we are again. So I mean, we score there, and we have a twenty three to nine lead already. So even if the 49ers manage to pull off that miracle play on the next drive, they're still they're still a score away from being able to catch us as opposed to pulling basically even with us uh on the, you know, it's it's the little things, guys. It really is, especially in a game like this. And you know, I said in the, in the preview episode with two teams like this that are pretty much evenly matched going into it, it's going to come down to who makes the fewer mistakes. And in, in this time, uh, you know, the Bears killing themselves with the penalty uh, on the first drive. That lousy play call on the third drive where Herbert is basically losing yardage before he even catches the ball, making it even more difficult for him to get the line to gain uh, and things like that instead of trying to make the play downfield to get the first down uh, and things like that. Those are the mistakes that cost the Bears the game and then you know the 49ers are running a giveaway play a give up play and then they're not even expecting to be successful and we allow them to take it to the house essentially and you know the the mistakes just racked up for the bears and it caught up to us right before the fourth quarter and in the fourth quarter the 49ers overtook us you know we we had a you know we won the first half uh 16 to Six or thirteen uh, to nine, and we lost it by a much wider margin in the second half. <laughs> Knee jerk reaction, fourth quarter, Bears forty niners, and uh, for the second time this year, the Bears allowed their opponent to double their point total in the fourth quarter. We were up sixteen to fifteen going into the fourth quarter. We're going to lose this ball game, thirty three to twenty two. After the uh, the Bears allowed the 49ers to, at will, I mean, they did it all day long. Uh, anytime, I mean, just, just the middle of the field was wide open. Like, we don't have, we don't employ linebackers or, or whatever it was. Whenever the 49ers needed to play, just the slant route across the middle was wide open for chunks of yardage all day long. Garoppolo had like 330 passing the ball on us today. Just one one slant after another, wide open down the middle of the field. Our defense was absolutely pathetic today. Just absolutely awful. The offense did no favors by not being able to finish drives. And, uh, you know, we, we should have been up 21-9 to nine, uh, at halftime. It should have been 28-9 to nine, uh, after the first drive in the second half and everything. It should be 35-33. Right now, and instead it's 33 to 22. Um, you know, like the day went so screwed up, Cairo Santos missed an extra point, the first kick he's missed in over a year. So, yeah, just an all around banner day for the Bears as they made uh, Garoppolo look like the uh, second coming of Tom Brady that the 49ers traded for uh, all those years ago. So, we fall to three and five. Uh, we got the Pittsburgh on the road before the bye week next Monday. So we have that to look forward to. So yeah, this, this is a game we should have easily had in hand, but we couldn't get out of our own way. Um, and it just, it's yeah, just typical of what this team does. (laughs) This episode of the bears talk underground is brought to you by the Spotify green room. Guys, Spotify Green Room is free, audio-only social media platform for sports fans. Start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. Talk with other sports fans, insiders, athletes, and executives in real time. Join in on conversations with me at Club 34-7 and have a chance to be featured on your favorite podcast. I'll be hosting rooms every week. Uh, for Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern. Come through and talk to me live on Club 34-7. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app in the iOS App Store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. Follow me at Larry D-E-E to be notified when my room goes live. And again, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, you can join me on the Spotify Green Room for Club 34-7. Come in, let's have a conversation, let's talk bears, let's talk whatever you want. 
But in order to do that, you got to download the Spotify Green Room anywhere you get your apps. <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by Symbol. Symbol is the sports stock market that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. There are two ways to make money on Symbol. First, every time a team you own wins, you earn a cash win payout. Second, just like the stock market, if you think a team is going to increase in value, you can buy low and sell high for a profit. Use promo code SD, as in sports drink, to make your first deposit risk-free. That means even if you lose money or just decide the market isn't for you, Symbol will refund your initial deposit, no questions asked. (laughs) So there it is. You know, you go back and you look at it. The 49ers didn't punt once. That third and 19 that ended up being the big 80-plus yard play that flipped the game, that flipped the momentum, that flipped the, you know, uh, everything for for the game was our best opportunity to force that punt. And we didn't force a punt out of the 49ers all day long. They had, let's see, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight drives, seven scores. Uh, actually, they had a ninth drive, but that was them kneeling on the football at the end of the game after the final interception. So eight drives, seven scores, zero punts. Uh, and uh, let's see, I got the box score here. So, uh, oh, team stats, that's what I'm looking for. 467 yards of total offense for the 49ers. 322 yards passing, 145 yards rushing. Only 22 minutes time of possession. The Bears had nearly a full quarter time of possession advantage over the 49ers. So the 49ers were able to take advantage of the big chunk place they had like i said they had that 50 yard pass just before the half where they were in danger of tying the game instead of kicking the field goal that made it 13 to 9 they had the 80 yard play to samuel and and like i said they had eight plus they had eight plays of 20 plus yards in the game that's how you can lose the time of possession by a full quarter and still win the game because you're making the most you're maximizing your opportunities when you're on the field the Bears have to do it the hard way every single time. We can we can put a drive together. We can move the chains. We can keep the clock rolling. But in the end, we're not going to do enough damage to put ourselves in a position to win the football game. Uh, and I mean, and the defense picked a hell of a time to have its absolute worst performance of the year. I mean, you thought it was bad last week uh, against the uh, Buccaneers, but you. You, you, number one, you expect that from the Buccaneers, and number two, the de- the offense put the defense behind the eight ball all day last week with the five turnovers. So the defense was defending against short fields against the best quarterback of all time. It was, you know, it it was it went bad from the beginning. We and we only gave up three points in the second half. The problem was we gave up thirty five in the first half. So, uh, you know even though the defense gave up more points and it looked a lot worse last week, the offense put them in a bad position. Uh, They were on their heels on roller skates from the beginning. This week, the offense held up its end. The offense scored 22 points. The offense had five scoring drives uh, in this thing, and it was the defense that couldn't hold up its end uh, this week. And... You know, like I said, they made Jimmy G look like the guy that the 49ers gave up a top pick to get, that they made one of the highest paid quarterbacks in football uh, when they re-signed him to a five-year, like $130 million uh, contract back in 2017, one that he hasn't lived up to. That's why they gave up three first-round picks to draft uh, Trey Lance uh, at at the top of this year's uh, draft to be the quarterback of the future. They're just hanging on to Jimmy G for now uh, while they get Trey Lance ready to take over. Jimmy G is not the future. He's an afterthought for the 49ers. And yet today, he played like the guy that could take him back to the Super Bowl like he did back in 2019. And we did that for him. Uh, I mentioned it in the... uh, in the bear up bear down show yesterday, like we have, we may have uh, created a bigger problem 
for the 49ers. And I'm not talking about a quarterback controversy or anything like that. I think maybe the 49ers were just given a false sense of security over Jimmy G's abilities when they find out that they play against somebody uh, next week who actually makes adjustments and, you know, uh, responds to what their opponents are doing as opposed to just letting them do the same thing over and over again like the Bears did uh, on Sunday. So, yeah, it's not going to be like that every single week, 49er fans. Jimmy G's not going to be able to do that against a competent defensive uh, coordinator. Now, granted, this was only Sean Desai's eighth game as a defensive coordinator, but uh, for him to have the moments that he's had going into, uh, I mean, even in our most embarrassing game offensively against the uh, Cleveland Browns, Defense had five sacks, and we were in it going into the fourth quarter. We still had a shot, despite our offense giving us nothing going into the fourth quarter. In this one, they did nothing. They did nothing. No quarterback hits, no pressures, no sacks, no takeaways. Those interceptions that they dropped in the first quarter were as close as we ever got to forcing a takeaway, and we didn't pull the trigger on it. Well, not, we, didn't, we didn't come through. We didn't pull through. The defense didn't do its part. It gave up nearly 500 yards of total uh, offense, and that's why. That's why we lost the game. You know, we gave up those chunk plays. We made it easy on the 49ers. Sean Desai didn't make any adjustments to protect uh, the middle of the field whatsoever, and uh, the 49ers were able to make us pay for it. We went up against the guy who, like I said earlier, will make you stop him. He will dare you to stop him. He will challenge you to stop. It's like, oh, well, this is working, so I'm just going to keep doing this until you stop it. And he kept doing it. We never stopped it. So the cycle didn't end until the clock struck zero, and the 49ers had 33 points to R22 to show for it. So, you know, but what's getting lost in all of this and what I didn't even mention in the fourth quarter knee-jerk reaction was the touchdown drive. And for the second time in three games – the def- and, and that's what I remember how pissed off I was after the Packer game because we had that drive in the fourth quarter. We're down 17 to 7. Um, and it was the other thing that made it so remarkable to me was we had that moment that would have been soul crushing to us in the past. Khalil Herbert runs it in for a touchdown that would have made it 17 to 14. Instead, the refs make a ticky-tack holding call on Sam Mustafer. It gets called back. In the past, that would have been the drive killer right there. That would have been the end of the drive. We do nothing. Maybe we settle for a field goal at best, and the game is over. That's, that was the best we would have been able to muster, but we killed our own momentum, and that's it. Instead, Justin Fields leads the offense. We persevere. A few plays later, we find Mooney in the end zone. It's 17 to 14 again. All we need is the defense to answer, and we've got a shot to either tie or take the lead in this thing. And what happens? The defense absolutely falls flat on its face. They give up the touchdown drive that inspires the I own you moment by Aaron Rodgers that's been talked about uh, ever since. And the same thing happened on Sunday with the 49er game. You know, we've. We've, you know, our inability to close and finish drives offensively kept the door open for the 49ers to catch us. They caught us and then passed us with their next offensive drive in the first quarter to take a 23 to 16 lead. And we answered. We answer with a touchdown drive uh, of our own there in the fourth quarter after, you know, the 49ers make it 23 to 16. Nine plays, 68 yards, 439 off the clock on fourth and one. Number one, kudos to, uh, uh, to Chris Tabor, our, uh, off, our special teams coach slash interim head coach yesterday. Uh, on that, because uh, it was third and six, the Bears got five, so it's fourth and one immediately. Immediately, Tabor's pointing. He's like, we're going for it. It's not, let's take a timeout and talk about it or anything like that. He makes the decision immediately. We're going for it. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. And (laughs) the play call itself, uh, the 49ers saw coming. And, you know, because the defensive end just runs up the field uh, right at uh, Justin Fields, who has to make the adjustment. He almost falls down. 
He keeps his feet. He gives up yardage, and uh, he gets to the outside and then hangs, uh, makes that right, turns, make, turns right to go upfield, and it turned in the, to the Tariq Cohen punt return against the 49ers back in 2017 where he caught the ball at about the 50. He goes to, you know, runs to the right side, bails on that, starts giving up yardage, and then finally makes the turn, goes upfield, and it becomes uh, a punt return for a touchdown. Uh, you know, I, I tweeted out yesterday, it, Tariq twisted and turned for about 130 yards to run back a punt that was about maybe 50 yards officially. And, you know, for what was a 22-yard run for Justin Fields, he did run about 50 or so yards or more, uh, actually, because he ran to one side of the field and then turned around and ran back to the other side before finally turning it upfield. So I think he ran maybe 40 or 50 yards to get a 22-yard touchdown run. And you saw when Fields crossed the goal line, he exploded with excitement. And that kind of stuff is infectious. That's the stuff that, uh, you know, like last year when we played the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football, the way that the sideline exploded when Cordero Patterson took the opening kickoff of the second half in for a touchdown, you just saw that was the moment that the team needed, the spark. You heard me talk about the spark earlier uh, in the season. That was the spark right there. That should have been what turned this thing around. And instead, what was the defense answer to that? Five plays, 75 yards, and another touchdown for the 49ers. Just like that. Five stinking plays. Garoppolo short down the middle to Muhammad Sudu, 19 yards. Uh, 27-yard run for Mitchell. Uh, another a one-yard run for Mitchell. 23-yard from down, to the, down the middle to Hasty to the five-yard line, and then Jimmy G on the design run from five yards out. Boom. Just like that. 75 yards in five plays, and it's 30 to 22. Momentum killed. Game over, essentially. Because it was a, we, you know, we couldn't respond uh, to that. Our next, our next drive was four plays for negative one yards, and we punted again. It was almost like that drive didn't happen. It was over so fast. So for the second time in three weeks, the offense puts us in a position to take the momentum back in the football game. And our defense let us down. So, you know, this is why we're three and five. This is why we can't uh, make the progress that, that we want to make. That's where we can have a performance like the one we had out of fields in the offense yesterday, and it's not enough. So that's going to do that, guys. Um, but I did want to mention one more thing uh, before I go. I'm recording this on, on Monday night, so Monday, November the first and um for those who know um november 1st is a sad day in chicago bear uh history uh because it is the anniversary of the death of the greatest of all time of course i'm talking about walter payton and um it's it's one of those where were you win type moments in when you're a bear fan where were you when you heard that sweetness had died? And um, for me, I was away at school uh, at the time, Western Illinois, back in uh, little Podunk Macomb. And um, it was a Monday night, ironically enough, uh, as it was today. And uh, I was in my buddy's uh, dorm room because we all gathered up. This was the Attitude Era for the WWE or the WWF at the time. So me and a bunch of my buddies on, on my floor we're all wrestling fans, so we were all gathering up. It was uh, my buddy Zach's turn to host uh, Raw, so we were all going to uh, gather up in his place. And for one reason or another, Zach and his, his roommate Brendan were watching CNN, or that's, that's what was on the TV when I came into his room. And when I sit down, I'm looking at him. I was like, hey, that's Jim McMahon. Look at that. And I start listening in uh, to the interview. And he's talking about Walter Payton. He's talking in the past tense. And then finally, the like the banner graphic on the bottom of the screen says, uh, Walter Payton passes away. And that's how I learned Walter Payton had died. So it was a lot to take in, uh, especially for somebody like me. 
Uh, Walter Payton is my favorite player uh, in the history of my life. And uh, uh, I, you know, was fortunate enough to grow up in Chicago. I was able to watch him play uh, the last years of his career. I was fortunate enough to be in Soldier Field the day that he broke um, Jim Brown's rushing record. I think the anniversary of that is coming up soon, like November 7th or something like that. It was in 84. I was six years old. Uh, and my dad took me to that game. We saw him play against the Saints. It was raining outside, all the little things. Funny thing is, I, and I've said this before, you guys have probably heard me tell the story, that um, of all the things I remember about that day, being there, them playing the Saints, it's raining outside. My dad taught me how to eat a hot dog under a poncho so it wouldn't get wet. I have no recollection whatsoever of the moment that sweetness broke the record. None. I remember everything else. I remember that our seats were in uh, or near the end zone to the point where he did one of his patented dive over the pile touchdowns literally right in front of me. So it was like, I remember all of that. And, uh, but I don't remember him breaking through. I don't remember the history part of it. I remember everything else that made it just another game, but uh, I don't remember the history of it. But I had the great honor of, of watching Sweetness play live and in person. Um, I was alive to see him play on television and, uh, and everything. And, uh, he was great all the way up until the end, uh, especially in, in, uh, in 85 when we were able to win the Super Bowl and give him the championship that he deserved all along, uh, and everything. Uh, I broke my heart. The one I saw the press conference, um, I don't remember if that was in 98 or 99, maybe it was just a few months before he actually passed and you saw how much weight, He'd lost. He was a shell of his former self, and he was scared. You know, he was scared that he might not see the end of this, or he might not be able to see it through. And uh, sure enough, a few months later, the uh, the disease, the cancer, uh, claimed him and and took one of the greatest of all time away from us far too soon. You know, he only lived to be forty five. It's like I'm forty three now, so in a few years from now, I will have I will be older than Walter Payton had a chance to be. And uh, when you think about it in those terms, it feels unfair because 43 years has gone by in a blink for me. You know, it's like 45 that, you know, there's so much of his kids' lives that he missed. And, uh, you know, Jared Payton being, uh, you know, a Chicago, being a broadcaster in the Chicagoland uh, area and, uh, you know, with what his daughter has done uh, as well, making names for themselves. He didn't get to see any of that, or at least he didn't get to share that with them. You know, if you believe like I do, he's been watching the whole time, but you know, he didn't get to share that with them or more importantly, they didn't get to share that with him. And, um, you know, it's on a day like today, you have the anniversary uh, of his death. You're reminded of the, of the loss and reminded of where you were and how you were feeling when you learned, uh, about it and didn't quite compute, uh, to me, like I said, it was right close to the beginning of the of the show, so we were able to. I was able to kind of mask it for a bit, you know, like it didn't let it quite hit me until later, like when the wrestling was was over with, and I went back to my room and I was alone. That it really kind of let it sink in that uh, you know that Walter Payton was gone, and uh, you know he was only forty five, and just just how shitty it felt to know that we were going to live in a world that didn't have Walter Payton in it anymore. So, so, and on this day, we pay homage to the greatest, to sweetness himself. We thank him for being, um, thank him for being him, uh, for, for all the memories and for some of the greatest NFL film highlights anybody will ever be able to generate. You know, if you haven't done it, do yourself a favor, just Google Walter Payton highlights on YouTube and you're welcome because you will see some of the most amazing shit that anybody has ever done. And you will also see a style of play that no longer exists in the NFL anymore. You do not see the effort that Walter Payton put into running uh, the football. Walter Payton was a goddamn savage when he ran the ball. He made the defense pay, you know, for the, you know, the temerity to even attempt to tackle him. You know, it is, it was very, it's, it's very rare, especially in these days, like maybe, maybe a Derrick Henry intimidates the defense, but Walter Payton was, you know, like 180 pounds or something like that. He wasn't a big guy, 
but there were linebackers and defenders in the league that feared Walter Payton because they knew if they had to tackle him, he was going to make them pay for it. Walter Payton was the kind of guy that was going to initiate contact with you instead of absorbing the hit you were going to give him. If more times than not, Walter Payton took your hit to help him stabilize himself so that after he shook you off like the insignificant flea that you are, he could continue his momentum and move the football uh, up the field. And, you know, he was just the most dynamic player uh, that's ever been, one of the most versatile players, and somebody that, uh, you know, that was he's a timeless player for the versatility that he had in what was still a pretty, pretty trying to rigid NFL. It was about running the football. It was about defense. Then, you know, it was just a matter of that's what it was about. You know, your offensive lineman weighed 270 pounds and, uh, and things like that. There are offensive linemen in the league now that take dumps bigger than most offensive linemen used to be when they were blocking for Walter Payton, you know, but it's, He's one of those guys that you could plant in today's NFL and he would be as good, if not better than he was then, you know, I mean, granted with the, with the rules and how they benefit the offense, who knows what sweetness could do in today's uh, day and age, who knows the toughness and the, 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 the tenacity that he had would be like, unlike anything we've seen in the NFL right now that nobody else does now what he did then. And, um, you know, go ahead and watch some of those highlights on, on YouTube. You know, it was like, you want to know how badass he was? My favorite highlight of all time for Walter Payton, he gets caught from behind. He doesn't score. It's that run against Kansas City. He runs out to the right side. He does a spin move back to the inside, crashes uh, with one group, keeps the legs pumping, crashes into another, and keeps on going and gets caught from behind because crashing into those piles of people slowed him down so that the defender could catch him. But, uh, you know, the thing that I love about that play is the, A, the highlight itself, and then B, the reaction of his offensive linemen who were coming to help him up. They were, they were celebrating like he did just score like an 80-yard touchdown. They were jacked watching him do that. And it's a bit of an extreme comparison, but Walter Payton was the kind of guy that you, that would lift an entire team. His effort would lift the spirits and, you know, lift the effort of his teammates. And I think Justin Fields is a player like that. He's nowhere near on the level of Walter Payton. Knock on wood that he could be someday. But I feel like his performance yesterday, that touchdown run that he made yesterday, was one of those moments that could capture a team. I think it's, it's also like one of those moments that could maybe draw somebody to the Bears that maybe wasn't thinking about it before. You know, like in the past, if you're an offensive player and you go to Chicago, you're going there for the money. <laughs> or you're going there because you have nowhere else to go as an offensive player. Musa Muhammad said it years ago. Chicago is where wide receivers go to die. Well, he made, you know, $7 million a year to die in Chicago, so it must not have been all that bad. But, um, you know, with the way Fields plays, the effort that he gives, the effort that he will demand from his teammates could be something that could draw people to Chicago and make it a, make it a destination. I want to play with that guy. And, um, you know, that was the, the kind of effort that Walter Payton made the kind that made him the legend that he is and always will be. Walter Payton didn't do anything that was mythical. Nobody has to exaggerate on the things that Walter Payton did. He's got it on film. Just go ahead and watch it. Hopefully one of these days somewhere sooner rather than later, we hope Justin Fields can be that kind of guy as well. He'll be the one that's that inspires you to want to go to Chicago to play with the best. And, um, you know, so that's kind of what I was thinking about yesterday when I saw that run from Fields and then today being the anniversary, I thought I might bring it up to, to close out the show. So rest in peace, sweetness. We in the Bear Nation, we love you and we miss you, but we know you're watching. So maybe uh, maybe give a whisper to the football gods and maybe tell them to take it easy on us, man. You know, it's been a rough couple of years. We could use a break. So I don't know. Maybe you're waiting on 2022 like the rest of us are. 
and uh, you know, then you'll start speaking up and helping us out. But uh, in the meantime, uh, enjoy the view. I know you're playing in that big, big, great football field in the sky, and uh, I can't wait to see it myself someday. So. Anyway, guys, that is going to do it for the Week 8 review episode of the Bears Talk Underground. Come on back on Thursday when we will be previewing Bears-Steelers for Monday night. So, uh, yeah, looking forward uh, to that. Lining up my guest uh, right now, I haven't heard back from him uh, yet to to nail down a time when we're going to talk. So uh, we'll get that uh, figured out, but I will be back on Thursday with the preview episode. Be sure to join me on Wednesday night in the Spotify uh, green room. Uh, we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk some more about the Bears and 49ers. Uh, we'll talk about you know Justin Fields and everything in between. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? Let's talk about the Bears moving to Arlington Heights and how yesterday's uh, the 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 the, the um, condition of the field of the sod in Soldier Field is like reason number one that we can't wait to get to Arlington Fields. We can't get there to Arlington Heights fast enough so that we can get away from the Chicago Park District and their lousy uh, field management year in and year. I mean, guys slipping and falling all over the place uh, yesterday. So let's talk about that and any other thing you can dream up. 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central in the Spotify green room. Follow me under Larry D, as in D-E-E. Don't know why they wouldn't let me use the period, but they wouldn't. So it's Larry D-E-E. Looking for Club 34-7, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern in the Spotify green room, or else just come back on Thursday when we preview Bears-Steelers for week number nine. So anyway, guys, going to go ahead and take off. See you again on Thursday. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been Bears Talk Underground. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.